and welcome to the Destiny Church Podcast. We trust that this will be a great encouragement to you and build your faith. Enjoy today's message. Well, good morning. How many is glad to be in church this morning? Awesome, awesome. Merry Christmas and all of that. Great to see you. You look beautiful. I want you to turn around and tell somebody, say, hey, God's in a good mood. Come on, tell them. Now look at your other neighbor, the one you neglected, and get real serious with them and say, hey, I'm serious. You make Sundays look amazing. Come on, tell them. Only one person said it. Well, grab your Bibles this morning. John chapter 1. We've got some ground to cover. We're kicking off a new series this week. Super excited about it. Always an honor to... uh, to share with our community, our, our, uh, our Jesus family, truly is an honor. We don't take these moments for granted, treat them lightly. So honored to, to, uh, to share Pastor Chad's pulpit. And uh, the Bible says, give honor where honors due. Can we just make some noise for our lead pastors real quick? <laughs> it's biblical. He doesn't like when we do that, but it's biblical. So we're going to do it anyways. Bible actually says, whoever serves well, they're, they're worthy of double honor, which really means double honorarium. So just throw that out there, double honorarium. You didn't get that. You get it? All right. <laughs> John chapter 1, verse 1 through 5. And uh, we're going to dive in this morning and look at the birth of Jesus and uh, the significance. What does it mean for us? One of the most beautiful things we can do is just behold Jesus, because the more we behold him, the more we become like him. We become like what we behold the most. And Jesus is a pretty good thing to behold. All right, John chapter 1, verse 1. In the beginning, everybody say the beginning. beginning. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the, the beginning with God. All things were made through Him. Without Him, there wasn't anything made that was made, and in Him was life. And the life was the light of men. Verse 5. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Verse 14, jumping ahead a few verses. The Word became something. Flesh. And He dwelt among us. Another translation said, the Word became flesh and blood and moved into the neighborhood. So good. Amen. Hey, let's pray this morning because we need all the help we can get. Holy Spirit, come. We invite you now. Let the manifestation of the Spirit come upon us for the common good. Lord, release the words of God and the works of God among us. Let our hearts be open wide. Let us behold Jesus like we've never beheld him before in all of his splendor, glory, and beauty. Let our hearts encounter, let living understanding encounter our hearts today. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, one more time, Merry Christmas, family. Break out the eggnog. Anybody like eggnog? That stuff is nasty. I don't know. Christmas sweaters. Break out the checkbooks, right? Uh, this time of year, somebody said true. This time of year, you know, it's typically filled with lots of family time, food, memories that you'll have for many seasons to come. It's the most wonderful time of the year. Uh, most of us for multiple generations, you know, we can recall childhood Christmas memories, going to the mall, sitting on Santa's lap, right? We tell them that we've been good and give them our list and our parents would snap the picture, right? 
Lots of us have some great memories, some awesome photos from that. But most of us also have pictures of two-year-old us screaming and crying hysterically as Santa's enthusiasm slowly drains from his rosy red cheeks. Am I right? Here is, uh, here's Christmas with the Ron kids, uh, 2012. Yeah, my favorite is Joseph to the left. They're just cheesing hard right in the midst of the chaos. Rocking the penguin sweater like a savage. We will definitely be recreating that picture in the near future. You know, every year we break out these pictures, right? You're probably a lot like us. We relive the moments, and we, re and we make sure that our kids know that they should count their blessings. Because let's be honest, okay? When it comes to visiting Santa at Christmas, our kids, this generation, they got it easy, am I right? They got it easy. Just a couple short generations ago, you had to endure some stuff. If you wanted to make sure that Santa Claus got your wish list. We're not talking about the nice, welcoming, warm, friendly Santa you see at Bass Pro. No. Imagine mom and dad pulling up to Santa's workshop at the mall. You're four years old, you get to the front of the line, and then you come face to face with this guy. Merry Christmas. Now go back to that other one. Go back to that other one. That Santa will follow you straight into your nightmares, am I right? Okay, here's a Santa, next one. He's sure to make all the little kids' wishes come through at Christmas time, right? Imagine mom and dad plopping you down on that guy's lap. That's called a Christmas makeup massacre. Then there's this guy, one more, he's my favorite, picture three. Why do we do this to our kids? Why do we do this? It's classic, you got one kid screaming hysterically, one crying, and then one just questioning reality altogether. Is <laughs> the best? I bet you didn't know this about jolly old Saint Nick. He's actually recorded as punching a guy one time. No, like this is for real. It was uh, the Council of Nicaea, AD 325. Church bishops, they gather together, let's have church. And the topic of discussion on the table was none other than the nature of the divinity of Jesus. So the story goes, one of the popular and most influential bishops of that day, his name was Arius, pompous, right? He was claiming that in fact, Jesus did come from the Father, but was lesser than and not equal to God, which is obviously not grounded in the truth of the Bible, okay? Well, jolly old Saint Nick wasn't having it that day. He was not playing games. He gets so heated that he comes with a left hook and punches Arius right in the side of the head. That would have been a church service I would have paid to see. <laughs> the point is that people have been wrestling over the divinity and the humanity of Jesus for a long time. And, and I get it, right? It's the nature of mystery, the glorious God mystery. It's easy and profound all at the same time. It's simple and elusive. It's received by childlike faith and also a stumbling block for the wise. If you're like me, you know, during this season, you take time to ponder the beautiful perplexing mysteries of the historic event that we call the incarnation 
of Jesus. It's like, it's like the most stunning diamond, right? Filled with endless facets, the birth of the only begotten Son of God. For unto us a child is born, for unto us a son is given, and the government will be upon his shoulders, and his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, and Prince of Peace. It invites our awestruck gaze. It deserves our attention, beloved. It calls to us to turn aside so that we would behold the true wonder of it, that we would stir our hearts and maybe this season pull Jesus off of the flannel graph and bring him into the neighborhood. Y'all don't remember the flannel graph, do you? We must drink deeply of this glorious reality. We must. Let's not be in a hurry, church, to get on to more spiritual things, right? That God's great plan to restore all things, the dream of God to make all things new was that God would become a man, that the emperor would become a pauper so that orphans and slaves could become children and kings. It's incomprehensible that God would become a man. This is the God-sized answer to our hopeless human condition as we come to Bethlehem's stable and we find that a baby's cry is the down payment for our forthcoming cancellation of death. It's absolutely glorious. God became a man. The divine became human. Maker, man's maker became a man. This is the logic of God. The word became flesh and dwelt among us. So over the next three weeks, we're going to look at this. We're going to look into the glorious mystery of the incarnation, the life, death, resurrection of Jesus, the cradle, the cross, and the grave. What does this mean for me in my life, 2021? Like how does a story set in the Middle East thousands of years ago relate to my life here and now? So I want to take you on a little journey this morning, if that's all right. And hopefully what I'm doing is setting the stage. I'm super stoked for next week. It's going to be life-changing. But I just want to set the stage for where we're going to go over the next few weeks as we, go into, as we lead into Christmas. And I want to look at two things. I want to look at John chapter 1, what we just read in this context. Two things have to happen in order for the dream in God's heart to bring us into his perfect glory and leadership are supposed to come to pass. Two things have to happen. Creation and incarnation, okay? So if you're taking notes, which we highly encourage, write some things down today. I'm gonna teach you a little bit. Two things have to happen, creation and incarnation, okay? So there's four gospels in the Bible, right? Everybody know who they are? Help me out. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. They're the record of the life of Jesus on the earth. So each writer starts their gospel account off in a little different way. For example, Matthew starts off his writing and he traces the genealogy of Jesus all the way back to Abraham and Sarah, right? Which are the father and the mother of who? The Jewish people. And so what Matthew's trying to communicate is that the story of Jesus is distinctly a Jewish story. Okay, so then we go to Luke, another gospel. He starts off completely different and he traces the genealogy of Jesus all the way back Past Adam and past uh, Abraham and Sarah, all the way to Adam and Eve, which are the first two what human beings. 
And what Luke is saying is that the story of Jesus, it's not just a a Jewish story. It's a story for the whole of humanity. And that's where we say, thank you, God. But then we get to John chapter 1. And the way John starts his gospel is stunning because he starts off by saying, in the beginning. In the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God. And the Word was God. And what John is saying is that the story of Jesus, it's not just a Jewish story. The story of Jesus is not just a story for all of humanity. The story of Jesus is actually the story of God. It's the story of God. Okay, so number one, two things have to happen. If the plan in God's heart to bring us into perfect glory and to restore all things would come to pass. Number one, creation, if you're taking notes. As John declares something, in the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. In other words, John is tipping us off. He's giving us a hint. If we really want to understand the story of Jesus the way that we should, if we really want to take hold of the light and the glory of it, then we have to start at the beginning. So it begs the question, what beginning? To which I, my best answer that I can come up with is, well, our beginning. Our beginning. In the beginning was the Word. So let's go to our beginning. Genesis chapter 1, verse 26. Promise I'm going somewhere. Genesis chapter 1, verse 26. Okay, so here we go. Let's read this real slow. This is the creation account. Then God said, let... Let who? Not let me. Not let I. Let us make man in our own image after our likeness. Let us. So... Theologian A.W. Tozer, he says this, the most important thing about a person is to think rightly about God. That's significant. The most important thing about you is not the numbers in your bank account and the car you have in the driveway and the size of your house. The most important thing about you and me is to think is what we actually think of when we say the word God. Because what you believe about God affects what you believe about everything else. You have to begin with the right view of God or you end up with a wrong view of everything else. Let us make man in our image. Let us, which means that God is not some sort of divine abstraction. God is not some faceless, nameless, omni-being. He's not a legalist. He's not the bookkeeper. He's not the teacher watching over with the yardstick, waiting to slap you in the hand when you mess up. He's not the sum total of some boring old religious church service. He is not some cosmic killjoy waiting with the wet blanket to throw it over your party. Neither is he the goofy Santa Claus waiting to dole out goodies if you're nice. God is a circle of absolute perfect passion and life and fellowship. Let us, when we say the word God, What we're really saying is the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. God is three persons. The Trinity. Let us. Okay, C.S. Lewis says it like this. 
we all love to repeat what the Christian statement that God is love. We all say it. It's our favorite saying. God is love. But what we might miss is the fact that if God is love, it doesn't have any real meaning if God doesn't contain at least two people. Because love is something that one person has for another person. If God is a single person, then before the world was made, he was not love. Fellowship, camaraderie, togetherness, communion, partnership, and full understanding have always been and will always be at the center of who God is. It's who he is. And when we see that, when we understand that, God is fundamentally a relational being. It's who he is. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, they live in beautiful conversation. They've always existed in perfect unity, in a free-flowing togetherness of sharing and delight with one another. God has always existed in relationship. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, they have forever shared a storm of beauty and glory and love that is rich and completely and fully satisfying and creative and good and beautiful. That is God. When you say God, that's what you mean. Let us, in the beginning, the word was with God and the word was God. You have to start there. You have to at the Trinity because when you start at the beginning, that the true nature of God's existence is fellowship and perfect shared life, the purposes of God start to become clear. The water's not quite as muddy. You start to connect the dots. So why, would it, why creation? Are you guys following me? I know this a lot. Think about it. If I'm God, that God, I'm Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. I'm living in perfect unity, fellowship, glory, and love. I've always lived in this circle, and I will always live in this perfection and this fullness of life. Why the heck would he create you and me? Why? What's the logic in God's heart behind the universe? Why create animals, birds, fish, flowers, and the millions of other beautiful things we enjoy? Why create work and play and relationships and romance and sports and laughter and food and music? Why, what's the rhyme and the reason? The only obvious answer is this, inclusion. God's heart was to extend the circle to us. Let us, in an act of breathtaking grace, God determined I'm not going to hoard the great dance to myself. I'm going to share it. That's God. God created us so that the beautiful dance he enjoys within the Trinity could be shared with you and me. The goal of the Trinity in creation is inclusion. You can't escape it. Don't believe in him. That's fine. You still can't escape it. It was the purpose in the heart of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit in creation to draw us to draw you and me within the circle of their shared life so that we can experience it with them, so that the great dance of life could be extended to us and played out in our 24-7. This is the logic of creation. Creation has to happen if the dream in God's heart to extend the circle is going to come to pass, because if we don't exist, then he can't share that life. It's the ultimate storyline of love. In the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, and the Word was God. 
creation. Number two, incarnation. Enter the Christmas story. John chapter one, verse 14. The word became flesh and dwelt among us. The word became flesh and blood and moved into the neighborhood. The determination in the heart of God to extend his life to you and me translates into God becoming a man, right? And living out the life and relationship of the Trinity inside of human existence. This is the wisdom of God. It's the glory of the Christmas story. At least one of the Trinity has to enter into the world and become what we are so that the dance could actually reach us. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. And this is life everlasting, that they would know you, the true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you sent. One theologian put it like this. If God doesn't become one of us, then we're stuck with a Goodyear blimp in the sky. It's visible, and it's wonderful, but it's above us, and it's out of reach. God became a man. He actually became a man in the greatest act of humility poured out upon mankind. God entered into the world and he became what we are. This is, the good, this is good news for all mankind. Let's, let's go to uh, Philippians 2. Let's see how Paul words this. Jesus emptied himself of his outward glory by reducing himself to the form of a lowly servant. What's those next three words? He became human. Verse eight, he humbled himself and became vulnerable, choosing to be revealed as a man. God became a man. In Jesus Christ, a union is formed between two things that do not go together. It's oil and water on one side, You've got the life of God with all of its face-to-face -face fellowship and purity and fullness and joy. And on the other side, you have human existence and all of its hiddenness and brokenness and corruption. The incarnation means that these two worlds are united forever. How can that be? How can union, how can union between a triune God who dwells in unapproachable light and fallen human beings happen? How can it happen? How, can, how is it possible for the peace of God to intersect the disharmony of human existence? The answer is it's not possible. It is not possible. Something has to, to give in the equation. Something has to change. There has to be transformation, which is exactly what happened in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. Do you realize who you are in Christ? Like, Do you realize... There's more going on around us than we could ever imagine. He has, God has extended the circle to humanity. Do you realize the glory and the treasure inside of you? The great dance of the Trinity, it's no longer just a divine dance that we look at in awe from a distance. It is now and forever a divine human dance. God became a man. Let's go to Matthew chapter 1, verse 18 through 25. <clears throat> now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with a child from the Holy Spirit, verse 19. And her husband Joseph, being a man, 
and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. There's a lot going on here. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream saying, Joseph, don't, son of David, do not fear. Take Mary to be your wife for uh, that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. Verse 21 this is what I want you to get. She will bear a son and you will call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. So in ancient times, a name, the name you gave to a person at birth, it was more than a decision based on the top three baby names on Pinterest, right? He didn't break out the baby book and narrow it down to the top three, okay? A name chosen for a child back then meant a lot more than what, some, what it means now to some. More significant, it was a declaration of who they were to become, right? It was an identity thing, and the angel shows up and says, call him Jesus. Call him Jesus. It's really interesting, the story that the name Jesus tells us about who God is. According to the historians, a guy named Josephus, Jesus was not, wasn't a name that would have stood out among the rest. It wasn't anything spectacular. It, it was actually one of the most common names in that day. It was kind of like the modern-day equivalent of John Smith, right? It's Jesus. Which means it's, it's almost like Jesus was called every man. Not Superman. Not some stained-glass superhero. Not a theological argument to be won or a phantom-like figure dancing through history. Every man. Give him the name Jesus. This is profoundly significant in what it means for you and me. Jesus understands what it means to be human. He really does. The incarnation was a real incarnation, right? God truly entered into our actual situation. He entered into the human equation right where we are. The birth of Christ. It was God entering right into the middle of human corruption and disorder and brokenness. In other words, God didn't just become similar to you and me. God became just like you and me in Christ. In other words, he entered into the, the only human existence available. It, it's the fallen human existence. He actually became a man. When that touches your heart in a living way, but it's more than the story you break out on Christmas morning only, and it truly touches your heart. It is beyond powerful because it means that Jesus isn't just concerned about forgiving your sins and getting you out of hell with little to say about being a mother or a father, with little to say about basketball and cookouts and laughter and running a business and fishing and gardening and music and art. God became a man and is meeting us with the life of God right in the middle of our everyday lives right now. Jesus didn't come. Contrary to popular belief, Jesus didn't come to make you less human. Jesus came so that we could become more human like him. We gotta get caught up in the glorious dance. There is more going on than we'll ever even imagine. God extends the circle of beauty into our humanity, into our loves, into our passions, into our burdens, into our tears. God became a man. The word became flesh. 
And I think, why is this important? I think what happens when we miss the fact that God actually personally understands what it means to be a human. You understand that Jesus didn't just become human for 33 years and now, and now that human thing's done. There is a man seated at the right hand of the Father. There's a, he, is, he took on the human form now and forever. He understands what it means to be a human. God is not ashamed of the lowliness of our human, our human existence. He marched right into it. And when we miss that, when it just becomes the thing that we've heard since we were kids on the flannel graph and it doesn't move our hearts anymore, and we truly miss the fact that God understands our humanity, we end up running from him in our humanity rather than to him in it. As we close, I just, a couple of thoughts here. and I know this is a lot. If we can get somebody to play the keys here. Think about, think about this. The, around the lens of Jesus understands what it means to be a human. Jesus lived for like 33 years on the earth, right? So approximately something like 12,000 days. I'm not great at math, but I think that's it. So like out of those 12,000 days, if you add up each story that the gospel writers tell us about Jesus, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, you add all those up, those stories account for no more than somewhere like 100 days of Jesus's life, okay? 100 days out of 33 years, that's it. That's all we get. That's all the Bible tells us, which to me begs the question, what in the world was Jesus doing for most of his life? What was he doing? Take a stab at it. What was he doing? And I think the answer is real simple. It said Jesus was doing what all of us do, right? He was working and resting and learning and growing, he was eating and thinking. You do realize Jesus had elbows and fingers, right? He still does. He was laughing and he was mourning day by day. Jesus was doing all of the things that you and I do with his friends and his family and his peers in the enjoyable and challenging context of the highs and lows in life. He knows what it means to be a human. The word became flesh and dwelt among us. The word became flesh. Let's, let's read this verse. I was going to skip it, but we're going to do it anyways. Hebrews chapter four. Now that we know that we have Jesus. So what is the conclusion for all of this? How do I bring this into my nine to five? Like, why was this even applicable to me in my running a business? Now that you know what you have, Jesus, now that you know the circle has been extended to you, this great high priest with ready access to God, don't let it slip through your fingers. Don't let it become so common that it doesn't move your heart anymore. Don't let it slip through your fingers. Why would they say that? Because this is so easily slips through our fingers. We don't have a priest who's out of touch with our reality. He's been through weakness and testing, experienced it all, except for the sin. So let's walk right up to him and get what he's ready to give. Take the mercy, accept the help. This way of seeing God through the person of Jesus, it actually reshapes us in the most deep 
and meaningful ways because it means that God is close. You hear me? He's close. Even in your wanderings and your doubt, he's still close. The circle's still been extended. The great dance is among us. The river is flowing from the Trinity and it's available. Let us drink from it deeply. We don't have a high priest who's out of touch with our reality. God is not some abstract spectator in the sky. God is close enough to be touched in the person of Jesus. It means that, well, God, while remaining all-powerful, he is somehow vulnerable. And the most moving part, especially when it comes to our hurting humanity, and our confusion and our fear and our yearning that so often comes with humanity, is that God, Yahweh God, Genesis 1 God, the creator of the cosmos, he really understands what it means to be human. So let's walk right up to him and get what he's so ready to give, mercy and grace to help us in our time of trouble. Thank you so much for joining us. Special thanks to those of you who give to this ministry. It's because of you that this ministry is possible. You can check out the link in the description to give or visit destinychurch.me slash give. Don't forget to subscribe and share with your friends. We love you and have a blessed week.